So, I want you to think about the walls of Jericho, right? Hebrews 11.30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. You'll remember how Israel had been going through the wilderness. you remember how God had sent, God had taken Israel down into Egypt through His providential care with Joseph being there as the second in command many, many years before. You'll remember how the famine took place and actually Israel, Israel was provided for from that famine by his being, by their being down there in Egypt. And you'll remember that, so that's Genesis uh, 12 through 50, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So you have Joseph there in Egypt after being sold into slavery. He rises up to the second in command. He's in charge of getting ready for the famine, and he's doing so, and his brothers come down, and you remember the rest of those accounts. So I won't cover all those in detail, but I will say this. That's, so Israel is, going, is in Egypt. Then you remember in the book of Exodus how they're going, God says, let my people go. So God's going to bring Israel out of Egypt, Exodus 9.16, in the very deep, for this cause that I raise thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So God was using Pharaoh, because that's, that's the person to whom he was speaking in Exodus 9.16. He's using Pharaoh to show his power to the world around him, and he did so. In other words, whichever way it had gone, it would have been to God's glory. Had Pharaoh submitted and been obedient to God's commands, it would have been to God's glory. But when Pharaoh rejected God's will and rebelled, it was to God's glory. Either way, it was going to be to God's glory. Just one was going to be for Pharaoh's betterment and one was not. It's the same as far as God's part is concerned. So, he refused and he kept trying to hold Israel there. But you know God brought them out of Egypt finally led them through the, divided, the dividing of the Red Sea, and they passed through the Red Sea. And they made it into the Promised Land, and you'll remember how, or they made it to the other side, rather, and you'll remember how the waters came crashing down and, and crushed the Egyptian army. So then Exodus 13 to 18, you have two months' journey to Mount Sinai. So they're on their way to Mount Sinai. They've, been, they've seen the crushing of the Egyptian army by the dividing of the Red Sea, and then it's returning to its state, its natural state of things. And they are, that section is filled with one example after another of their unbelief. They were just an unbelieving generation. They did not have faith. Remember what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10.17. This generation didn't have faith. They were a very unbelieving, very um, rebellious generation. So they came out of that land, and there's four, four, in, four major instances of unbelief, and God gives four reminders in this section to point them back in the future, from the future mindset, point them back to, this is what you're going to be reminded of, the Passover, the law of the firstborn, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the circumcision as it's connected to those things, pointing their minds back to what He had done for them. So then they finally make it to Mount Sinai. They spend a year at Mount Sinai where God gives them the law. He gives them the pattern for the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrificial system. He basically sets up everything we know of that we commonly think of as the Mosaic system or as often we refer to as the Old Covenant. That's the way we look at it. And that's where He set it all up was in it was from Exodus 19 to Numbers 10, the one year they spent at Mount Sinai. So, after that, they, God was, God was uh, telling them to go take the Promised Land in Numbers 11 to 14. They refused, and because of their unbelief, they were going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they did, while that unbelieving generation died off 
and the younger ones waited. And all those that were born in that, in that time frame were going to spend time in the wilderness until finally it was time to go into the promised land. So you and I know, so from Numbers 14, Numbers 11 to 14 is the, the period of their unbelief. Hebrews 3 describes it like this, But with whom was he grieved? Was it not with them that it sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So Numbers 15 to Deuteronomy is really just two months' time. It's one month mourning over Moses' death. Or excuse me, not Numbers 15 to Deuteronomy. That's the 40 years in the wilderness. Numbers 15 to 21 is 40 years. Deuteronomy is essentially two months. There we go. I'll get it straight. I knew it didn't sound right when I said it. Numbers 15 to Deuteronomy is 40 years in the wilderness. And then Deuteronomy itself is really just two months. One month, morning, one month Moses is preaching and one month they're mourning over Moses' death. So think about that. Moses is preaching his final, his final sermon, if you will, I know I'm referring to it as one, and so I'm kind of, um, well, we'll just say it like that. Moses is preaching his last, in his last opportunities with the people. And his purpose is this, to prepare them to be faithful to God in Canaan. Because think about what they've just come through. The generation that came out of Egypt was an unbelieving generation. Many of them died because of punishment, because of rebellion. The generation that, and then the ones who had lasted through some of the uh, plagues that killed them on the spot, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And many of them were going to die. But then there were those that were under 20, those that were born in the wilderness, who were going to be going into the land of Canaan. And that's what you have now after Deuteronomy. So when you look at the book of Joshua, you have the leader that's going to lead them into the promised land. That's Joshua. So they come to Jericho, and that's where I want to shift and center our attention to this evening is Jericho. Um, and I want you to think about Rahab. You remember how Joshua sent the two spies in? I want you to take a look at Joshua chapter 2. And I want us just to get take a few thoughts this evening about Rahab's deliverance. Because I'm not really talking per se about how the walls of Jericho came down this evening. That's not really the, the objective of our discussion. We know that they came down by faith, right? God told them what to do. He told them to walk around the walls once a day for six days, and on the seventh day walk around seven times, blow the trumpets and shout, and the walls came tumbling down. There's no question about that. That happened. And that's recorded in Joshua 6. He gave them the city, Joshua 6, 2, and then he gave them the instructions of here's what you do to take it. That's the way gifts of grace work from God. He says, I've given it to you. Here's how you access it. So they did that. They, they walked around the walls. The walls came tumbling down. They conquered Jericho. And by the way, that's faith. That's what faith does. And you'll remember... Just very briefly before we look at Rahab, in Joshua 7, they went on to Ai to take Ai, the next city in the, in the, uh, in the conquest, if you will. And what did they do? Well, they didn't ask God what to do. They said, this is what we're going to do. We don't need everybody. We'll just 
send a small number because, you know, no big deal now. I mean, we already took Jericho. Do you see how we did that? I mean, I don't see them say, I don't hear them saying that, but I see it in their attitudes, basically on them sending just a smaller group of people to take a city that they had no word from God on how to take. There was nothing about their strength or their prowess or their abilities that's what gave them the city of Jericho. It was God's power, God's strength, God's glory. They just by faith obeyed His message and He gave them the gift. But they forgot that when they took Ai. They, when they, or sorry, when they tried to take Ai. They did eventually take Ai when they listened to God's work. So just keep those in my, thoughts in mind as a backdrop of now that's, that's Israel and her, and her faith as a nation or her lack of faith as a nation. Now, let's look on just the other side of things. Let's look on from the Gentile looking out. Let's look at Rahab. Joshua chapter 2. So you know as well as I do, chapter 2 verse 1. Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of, sh of shutting the, of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I woke not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords, and as soon as they which, as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Look at verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, Think about this. this is, she's about, we're about to learn some things about Rahab because she's going to start talking. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Think about that statement that Rahab the harlot just made. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Did the generation of Israel, Numbers 11 to 14, know that whenever they came out of Egypt? No. Not like they should have. They may have, they may have intellectually acknowledged a thing that they say, oh yeah, yeah, he's going to do it. But no. They said that we're, that we're grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do it. She said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Listen to this. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. That's been a while. But they heard about that. And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. <coughs> Notice, and as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man. Because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. So, first thing I want to point out there, 
is how she keeps talking about what they heard. And now she's acting upon what they heard. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. She had heard what God had done. Remember what Exodus 9, 16 says? And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Jericho is part of that reception of that declaration. But not everybody at Jericho received that declaration the same way. Because they're not going to Israel asking them, well, what do we do? They're not going and surrendering to God and saying, what do we do? But she is. She knows that they have the answer to truth. They are that, that she has a way of knowing what to do if she can find out from God what to do through them. So now verse 12. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and de deliver our lives from death. So what I want us to look at just for these last few minutes that we have together this evening are the factors that are involved in Rahab's salvation and the deliverance that goes along with Rahab here. There's few factors that are given and I think we can learn some lessons from them. So verse 14, men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window. For her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest yourselves, or get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may he go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head if any, man be, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. <coughs> so let's look at these few things that are the conditions associated with Rahab's deliverance. There are several things mentioned here that had to be a certain way, that if they were not done, if they were not met, then the whole thing's off. And you think about that, what that meant for Rahab. She's heard by faith. She knows what's coming. She knows that there's a God of heaven and He's giving them the land. And she has asked, of, she's asked, she's, she's going to them for, for this deliverance. She's saying, save us. So her faith is, is seeking answers. Her faith is asking questions. She knows this is the place. So let's look at the first one. The first one was, don't tell anybody what we're doing. Utter not our business. If you do, our oath will be done. There is no oath between us if you utter our business. So let me ask you a question. 
That's something that Rahab had to follow. What did she tell someone? Then it's all. When they come to town, when they conquer Jericho, there is no delivering of Rahab and her folks. If she told anybody about it, now that's interesting because what about us? Are we under a covenant that requires us and that says anything about what we are to tell others? Yes, except it's the opposite of what Rahab was, right? It wasn't, don't get, ours isn't, don't tell anyone. Ours is, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. We're also under the command that if, if in 1 Peter 3, 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, you and I have that, that responsibility that when people ask us about why we believe what we believe, that we can give them a defense. We can be able to sit down and reason with them through the Scriptures, this is why I believe what I believe. We are under the obligation and responsibility to tell them about it. Not like as in, they were under the obligation, don't talk about it. Don't tell anybody about what we're going to do, and you'll be delivered. Which made sense for what was going on in that context. You and I don't have, we have a similar situation, but it's, instead of be silent, it's tell people. Tell people about it. Alright, let's look at the next one. So, after they said, you know, if you tell anyone, it's going to be over. So, when you look at, say, verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother, thy brethren, and all thy father's household home unto me. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. So the next two things, or you could say one, I guess you could say two, depending on how you want to look at it. She was supposed to bring all her family into her house. And she's supposed to bind this scarlet rope, this scarlet line in the window so it's visible. Those are, those are more conditions of her deliverance. One, don't tell anybody about it. Well, you and I are supposed to tell folks about our deliverance. Two, Get into, bring everyone into your house, Rahab, <coughs> your house, and bind the scarlet thread, the scarlet line, in your window. Well, we have a place to be, too. We have one place to be. And it's where the blood has cleansed. And that's the church, the body of Christ. You remember what Paul told the Ephesian elders, Acts 20? 2028, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which ye have purchased with his own 
blood. Jesus purchased the church. That's where the scarlet line is, if you will. The one place of deliverance. The one place to be. He told them, he told Rahab, you bring your family home into your house. They couldn't go to the neighbor's house. They couldn't go to some other relative's house. They couldn't go to anyone else's house. Rahab's house was the one place to be where deliverance was going to be had. And they had to put the scarlet line in the window. So that whenever conquest came, they had deliverance. Whenever judgment came on Jericho, they had deliverance. What about us? When judgment comes, when the Lord, whenever the Lord appears, in His second coming, we've got to be in the right house, which is the church of Jesus Christ, which He said, I will build, Matthew 16, 18. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I say, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, Matthew 16, 18 and 19. And how he said, and if, how Paul said in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is his body. 1 Timothy 3.15 talks about the church as the house of God. That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church, which is the house of the living God, the house of God. And you remember how Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Ephesians 5.23 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loves the church and gave Himself for it. Notice that. He, Jesus, gave Himself the sacrifice for sin, the one sin sacrifice that is available for it, the church, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself not having spot or ankle or any such thing. <coughs> and you remember how in the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's the only place where deliverance is had and access and available is in the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Because the church is His body. And whenever a person obeys the gospel of Christ, they are baptized into Christ. Romans 6, 3 and 4, into His death. They put on Christ, Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, they've clothed themselves, put on as if they're clothing themselves with something. They are added to the church, Acts 2. Whenever Peter preached the gospel there in Acts chapter 2, they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38, verse 41, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
And then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So just like Rahab had to bring those home who were going to be able to be saved, bring those to her house, her house and her house alone, she was told to be silent about the matter, bring everyone to your house, Bind the scarlet thread in the window. You and I are told to tell others about our matter of, of deliverance. Tell them and, and help them come to that one place of salvation, the church of Jesus Christ, where the blood has been applied by God Himself. But there's at least another factor of deliverance that went along with Rahab's situation. So let's pick up where we left off. Not only do they have to not talk about it, not only do they have to go to Rahab's house, her house and her house alone, no one else's, they have to put the scarlet line in the window. They couldn't choose not to go do that. They had to do that as well. But notice this. It shall be, verse 19, whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street. Look at that one word out. And that other word thy and that other word house. Whoever goes out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head and we will be guiltless. So in other words, they're telling her, you know what? <clears throat> you can not tell anybody about what we're doing. You can bring your family home to your house. You can put the scarlet line in the window. But when we come, if someone has left your house and they are outside your house, they will the blood their blood will be upon their own head. In other words, they won't be delivered with Rahab and the rest in the house. If they go out of the doors of thy house, their blood will be upon their head. In other words, they will not be delivered. We have the same, don't we? If we obey the gospel of Christ, the Lord adds us to the church, and if we after that point, at some time down the line, we turn against the Lord, we turn away from the Lord, and we no longer walk in the light, our blood will be upon our own head, if you will. Remember 2 Peter 2, 20-22? For if after they escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Second Peter 2, 20-22. He said, If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the Holy Communion delivered unto them. 
Think about that. So in Rahab's situation, they could have been totally silent about the matter. They could have gone to Rahab's house. They could have had the scarlet line in the window. But then, before it was all said and done, <coughs> before the judgment of Jericho was carried out and the dangerous past, if before that time they left her house and they were caught in the destruction, they're not delivered. There is a false doctrine that's been <coughs> permeating the minds of people for centuries that says that, oh, you can just, once, you, once, you, once you're saved, there's nothing you can do to, to be lost again. That's false doctrine. That's 100% false doctrine. We've just said that very plainly from 2 Peter 2, 20-22. Imagine if someone told some of those in Rahab's house, hey, you haven't said a word about what's going to happen. You've been silent just like they told you to be. You're here. You came into our house, didn't you? It's the one with the scarlet line in the window. So what if you got to go leave for a few minutes? No big deal. Well, it is a big deal because that's part of the deliverance package. So I want to ask this. You and I, because of, God, because of God's grace and love and mercy, we have the opportunity to be saved from our sins. We have the opportunity to be added to the Lord's church because of His Son purchasing that church with His own blood. That once we do that, once we, get, once we are added to that one house, the house of God, 1 Timothy 3.15, once we are added to that one body, the body of Christ, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and we do that through our submission to the plan of salvation, our hearing, our believing, our repenting, our confessing, and our being baptized into Christ. That is, we hear the gospel, we hear that Jesus came and died for us, that He, the Son of God, died for us. We believe that He is the Son of God and that He did that for us. We repent of our sins, we confess His name, <clears throat> and then we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And in that process, we're accessing His death where His blood was shed, Romans 6, 3, and 4. We're being added to the church, Acts 2, 38, 41, 47, by the Lord Himself. We're putting on Christ, Galatians 3, 27. And as 1 Peter 3, 21 puts it, we're being saved. But just like those people were told, don't say a word about it. Get into the right place and wait. If you leave, your blood's on your head. We have that same thing today. We're told to go and tell the world. We're told to get into the right place by obeying the gospel. The one place where the blood of Christ can be accessed the church, the body of Christ, the church of Christ. And having done that, we're told to remain faithful. John's pretty plain whenever he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, 
that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say, he's talking to Christians. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, this is the continuation. I've been added to that body. I've been added to that church, the, congreg- the church of Christ. I'm in that one place where the blood has been, act- where the blood has been applied. And I can, I've accessed it there. Now he's telling us <clears throat> kind of the opposite side of 2 Peter 2. He's saying, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. In other words, a continuous cleansing as we continue to walk in the light. We stumble and falter along the way. We manifest that penitent spirit, walking in the light, and we repent of those things. Because, see, there's two responses once you sin. And there's not a question of that, will you sin after you've obeyed the gospel of Christ. It's not a question of, will someone sin from time to time. That's not a question because no one's going to live sinlessly perfect. That's what 1 John 1 is telling us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So... It's not a question of, will I ever sin again? It's the question of, what do I do when I sin? <clears throat> do I continue walking in the light? Do I, confess it to, or do I confess it to God? Do I get rid of it? Do I repent and turn, in other words? And I continue to walk in the light as He is in the light. So that whenever He returns, He's going to take me home with the rest of the church be delivered up to the Father. To be, that Jesus will deliver us to Himself as it is said in Ephesians 5. Think about being in Rahab's in the situation there with Rahab. Would you, would you keep silent about it? If you were told to keep silent about it? Would you think it a big deal to go to Rahab's house? Would you think it a big deal that the scarlet line is in the window? Would you think it a big deal that you remain in Rahab's house? I'd say so because it meant life or death there. What about us? We're told to not be silent about it but to tell others about it. We're told to get into the right place. We're told that that place is the place of the body of Christ, the church of Christ, where the blood has been applied. And we're told to remain there, walking in the light as He is in the light, remaining in the truth, continuing to grow and continuing to mold and shape ourselves according to the truth. Because if we leave, if we quit, if we turn away, then our blood is upon our own head. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, why not tonight? If you have, and you strayed away, why not come back before that blood is on your head? <clears throat> God wants us all to be saved. He's made that abundantly clear through the sacrifice of Christ. His will is that we would be saved, but He leaves the choice up to us. What would you think about those in Rahab's house if they left. But what would you think about someone who said, it doesn't matter if we're in the place with the scarlet line. 
Or the someone that said, well, what about this other house? It's just as good. Or the someone that said, well, we can tell somebody. We don't have to be totally silent about it, do we? Those are all a big deal. If we can help you, please come while we're standing, while we're standing. <clears throat>